Welcome to the Investors Chronicle podcast. Today we're going to be discussing cash management and the best ways to ensure you can get the most out of your cash assets without taking on too much risk. I'm Taha Lokandwala, Deputy Personal Finance Editor at Investors Chronicle. And joining me today are Sam Hadfield-Jones, Head of Cash at Octopus Investments, Sophie Kilvert, Private Client Manager at Seven Investment Management, and James Norrington, Specialist Writer at Investors Chronicle. Almost all of us have one form of cash-saving product, whether it's a savings account with our current account provider or a cash ISA. Cash is, of course, a huge part of anyone's portfolio. It's the last line of defence and the first called-upon asset. And over the course of our lives, most of us will experience a cash liquidity event, whether we will either need or receive a significant amount of cash, normally from property or for retirement. Yet given its importance, we don't actually seem to pay too much attention to cash. There's around £700 billion held in cash in saving accounts, mainly within the top five largest banks. Around four-fifths of savers do not change or consider changing their provider and take the interest that they're given. Sam, I think this last statistic is quite telling. We've heard about the lack of swapping being an issue in other industries like electricity and gas. Do we need to see more in cash savings? Uh, I think absolutely we do. I think the challenge over the last uh, 10 years that in a low-rate environment, what you can get by switching for some is considered to be not worth the hassle that it takes to actually switch accounts. So I think the FCA's recent market study on the cash savings market showed that around 40% of people chose not to switch because of the fact that they didn't feel like they could get a marginally better rate elsewhere. And about half that amount, so 20%, wouldn't switch because of the hassle. I think that ends up in a stat that's along the lines of over 80% of people haven't switched their account in the last three years, which is an astonishing number, given the fact that a lot of banks employ a policy of dropping rates when you've been around for a long time. It's part of the business model. So, no, given obviously people have that perception, but so can people get a better rate if they if they move their cash around? Is that something that is possible or how does it work? I think there aren't very many options out there for people to easily manage their cash. And that this is all about taking the hassle out of stuff. At Octopus, we try and use technology to take away these manual processes that otherwise make things inaccessible. So uh, there are banks out there, particularly smaller banks, that haven't benefited from the level of free government funding that the larger banks have and are willing to pay a much better rate than uh, the high street banks today, you're talking double, triple, even quadruple the kind of rates that you'd expect to get from a high street bank. It's quite interesting because um, I think another stat that I picked up was about, you know, of that 700 billion that I mentioned earlier, 350 is in accounts that pay less than the Bank of England rate. And you, you mentioned these kind of smaller banks. So I think yeah, another term that we use quite uh, common is challenger banks. Yes. So what are we seeing from these challenger banks? Are we seeing better rates? Is this, are, they, are they really challenging this market and trying to pick up kind of retail deposits? I, I see the challenger bank uh, segment split down into two. One are what we'd probably describe as digital first banks, the likes of Monzo or Starling that are trying to deliver a customer experience-led bank. And then in the kind of more traditional uh, arena, you've got the likes of Virgin Money or Audemars or Shawbrook. These banks are out there, they're lending, they're growing, and they have an appetite for deposits that far exceeds the average high street bank and therefore their demand for deposits means they're willing to pay more to the end customer now since the last financial crisis people are actually really considered and interested in the eighty-five thousand pounds fscs protection so prior to that it wasn't something people talked about or thought about and we've seen definitely people are very very nervous about having more than that government protected amount in any one account 
Which brings me back to the point, if you want to take advantage of these challenger banks and you have more than 85,000, you're then immediately in the hassle factor of how many of these do you have to set up? Is it one? Is it two? Is it three? Is it six? And what happens at the end of a term? What happens if that bank changes their rate? What do you do then? So shamelessly plugging Octopus Cash, the idea is you have multiple banks on a platform and you can move your money between them freely. So if a bank changes their rate, you can go and get a new account. Uh, you can spread your money across lots of banks without the hassle of having to interact with lots of banks. Okay. Uh, James, we've been looking at Challenger Banks quite recently in Investors Chronicle. So obviously we, we have the obvious thing about them trying to break into the market and offering better rates, but there's some other interesting things to look at here, isn't there, in terms of the rates they're offering? Well, I think with Challenger Banks, you know, they, they benefited from uh, the term funding scheme um, as, a, as a source of funding, which, which ended, I think, in February this year. I think it was set up after the EU referendum as one of um, Mark Carney's emergency measures. And I think, um, as Sam mentions, their appetite um, for retail um, deposits is because it's a cheap source of funding for them. But ultimately, they have pressures um, trying to compete with the markets that they're lending to as well. So, so you know, there, there are going to be pressures. Something has to give. So how much they can continue to compete on rates um, that, that's going to be an interesting interesting point but I direct readers um, or listeners to, to Investors Chronicles feature that um, Emma Powell wrote on the 6th of April um, for more on that Okay great thank you So obviously you know, we, there isn't that much switching we've, we've established that so what are the risks of switching like you know there, there must be a reason why people aren't doing this whether they think it's uh, hassle is one of them but, but they must feel that there's underlying risks otherwise you know a rational investor would, would do this Yes. So I think you know, we call it the cost of apathy. You see it across many industries. If you look at the energy sector today, you've had 10 years of really unhappy customers. And only now you're starting to see this real momentum building behind going to challenger suppliers and, and finding a new way of doing things. I think uh, the last few years, given the uh, interest rate environment, we operate within uh, and the rates available there's been this limited incentive financially to look elsewhere and look for other providers i think what you're seeing now with the end of the funding for lending scheme uh, you've seen interest rates probably fall by 60 70 percent since that was introduced uh, that falling away i mean interestingly the nsni have recently dropped uh, some of their product limits from a million pounds to ten thousand and interest rates are creeping up so over the last 12 months you've seen, you can get a materially better rate than you could uh, 12 months ago. And I think that's starting to pique people's interests. The return uh, for the effort put in to swap and switch around is starting to become material. And I think that's going to increase. So I think if we're sat here in 24 months' time, there'll be a lot more people switching and proactively doing so. Okay, great. Uh, Sophie, what, what conversations are you having with clients about cash and kind of cash management and what are, the, what are the things to think about when you're looking at your cash portfolio? We spend a lot of time with our clients, particularly at the outset, talking about how much cash they should actually have. And that depends on, on quite a few things. It depends on how likely they are to need it, whether they're actually drawing happily from that cash at the moment or whether it's just there for the future. Um, it also depends on how much risk they're happy to take and comfortable with taking for the main point. So is the cash there really just to allow them to sleep at night or is it there because actually they're drawing a regular income Come from it. And that also depends on where they put that cash for the future. So if, if it's just there for a point in the future where they don't know when they're going to need it, then they could actually tie it up and maybe get a better rate, as Sam was saying. But if not, if they actually need it, then it shouldn't necessarily go that much further than our instant access savings account. And unfortunately, at the moment, they're not going to get much return on that. 
Okay, that's quite interesting. Um, so with the, with the instant access thing, there's one thing that I found um, quite recently when I was looking for um, a new cash account for my, for my girlfriend is that there aren't that many that, that pay regular interest. Now, how important is kind of looking at how often your, your provider pays interest? Is there, is there a compounding thing to benefit from here? Definitely. There's always the essence of compounding. And we all know that it can be one of the most powerful tools in investing or, or in, in cash as well. But it, it's a sense of looking at what's on offer, what's available and the cost return really between whether it pays that cash on a regular basis, do you have to tie it up? And all those things feed into that ongoing decision as to where your cash should be. What about tax considerations? There seems to be an understanding that you should use, obviously, use your tax allowances, perhaps in your eyes of the £20,000 annual allowance to use for cash but perhaps there might be different ways to think about this i see little point at the moment in having a cash isa in all honesty if you've got enough money to put into an isa that you can invest you're much better off investing it within the isa using the fact that the investments within an isa can grow tax-free and having your cash outside an isa the rates you get on cash within an isa at the moment differ little from what you can get outside an isa so if you've got that availability of cash uh, that you can invest some of it Put it in an ISA every single time. Okay, great. Sam, obviously, based on your comments earlier, you sounded like you were a, a proponent of being a bit more active with your with your cash management. So the um, the Octopus uh, platform aside, what are the what are the other things that kind of you're just a regular saver you can do to make sure you're getting the most out of your your, your cash savings? I think the the primary one is if you are if you have the energy and the enthusiasm to be proactive and uh, look at price comparison sites and uh, you have the time to go and move your money around diarise the end of terms, look for better rates, uh, you will constantly be able to get a better rate. It's just that trade-off between effort and uh, reward. And I think, again, in this low interest rate environment, coming back to your ISA point, I think something along the lines of £40 billion will still go into cash ISAs this year in the UK. That's about 60, over 60% of the ISA market. Putting a tax wrapper around something that's not earning you any money is a real waste of this amazing government scheme that's in place to incentivise savers to actually go out there and build their wealth. Um, if you're earning less than inflation, you know, you should be thinking about what else is there out there. Um, I think there are, and there are alternatives between you know going for a stocks and shares ISA, but you know the recently launched innovative finance ISA is something that uh, is starting to get traction and that's where you can wrap up your peer-to-peer loans in an isa is that is that suitable for, for cash savings or is that too risky so it's i think it comes down to that question especially if you've got a, uh, a professional advisor it's about looking at your portfolio looking at your asset allocation and working out what you need in cash and what you need uh, to be deployed to be earning a return now having an alternative between cash and stocks and shares is a nice extra string to your bow i think now it's not a cash alternative, but it gives investors and savers a new kind of uh, angle to look at. I think some of the problem now for people who are could be investors, um, but are at the more cautious end of the scale, is where on earth they do invest with so little on return on cash at the moment, but also actually the real risk of holding too much fixed interest with yields as they are. It's a real problem if you don't want to take that much risk with your money. Okay. Um, James, is there anything else uh, we need to be thinking about here with any of the options? We were chatting about structured products a little bit earlier, weren't we? I think that, you know, so structured products are probably a, a longer term, um, they've got counterparty risk and the issuers will, will want you to deposit your money for a certain amount of time. And again, uh, there's possibly the risk of loss isn't so great provided the issuer doesn't go pop, which um, can't be discounted. We all remember 10 years ago. 
but you know what that is involves is is a, is a product that might track an instrument, so the FTSE 100, but you give up a portion of the returns in order to have your principal guaranteed. Again, it's probably for cash. Your main concern, I would argue, is still probably liquidity and funding your day-to-day needs. But again, it's another thing which, on the risk spectrum, probably sits between outright equity investment and cash somewhere. Okay. What about technologies that have a part to play here? So we're discussing the ways that your everyday saver can move their cash around. Is there is there anything out there that might help them? I think Sam's covered off uh, in terms of um, what asset managers can do in terms of the service that they can provide, make things easier for their customers and clients. I guess, you know, people were looking about things going in the future. What, what could we get from, from blockchain and, uh, and cryptocurrencies? Is there anything there? I mean, I, I refer to the sort of the Barclays Equity Guilt study where they actually did a section on this earlier in the year. And there's some interesting uh, uses potentially around theft, uh, asset custody um, and secure settlements and payments. And maybe we'll be using it for conveyancing of houses. But in terms of you know, our purposes of, of cash holdings investments, I think, you know, maybe someone's got to come up with a solution. We're left a bit wanting yeah. in that situation then. Okay, so we, we talked about banks and challenger banks when it comes to cash management. Are there any other options out there? We mentioned kind of premium bonds and national saving of investments. Sophie, what do we think about these products? They certainly have their place, obviously, backed by the government. They're nice and safe. And in fact, they do form a, a big part of some of my clients' portfolios. My mum absolutely loves premium bonds, and she celebrates every time she gets £25 win. When you actually calculate the returns on them, they're not great. But they are safe for your assets. And when you're not getting much on cash held elsewhere, a bit of premium bond alongside investments, alongside cash holding elsewhere, you you can't go too wrong with it. Do you think people are going to be significantly affected by the the cut in the allowance? Certainly, yes. I think uh, reducing it from where it was to where it is now, a million pounds to 10,000, is a huge huge change. And I think it will will incentivise people to go and look elsewhere so certainly from our perspective the peace of mind the protection the government guarantee a lot of the clients that use the products that we've built are there to protect their money it's capital preservation is the top requirement for them and they're willing to forgo you know a stocks and shares type return because they just want peace of mind uh, particularly if they're later in life maybe they're in a drawdown period accumulation you know as a retiree you need a pot of cash to be to be stable um, so yeah i think you'll see a lot of people looking elsewhere for other products that can fill that gap okay so there are kind of funds you can buy on your know, everyday platforms Argos lansdowne aj bell etc that invest in cash like products and you know these aim to provide a better yield and return compared to what you just get from your everyday account sophie what do you think about these funds how often do they come up in conversation with clients they do come up a bit that i think they definitely had their place a few years ago when interest rates were higher now the return that you can get on a money market fund or a cash fund to be honest you can pretty much get it in a, on an instant access they're so low that there's not a great deal of point there's normal a charge there. There might even be a charge if you hold it on certain platforms, in which case you're getting a negative return. So look carefully before using a money market fund. I mean, I guess you could look at also looking at some very short dated guilt funds or something like that. But even then, the return, it's pretty low at the moment. And then you've got the capital risk of holding fixed interest as well. No, absolutely. It's funny you say that. So I um, I just pulled down some stats before we came down. So the Royal London Cash Plus Fund, which I think is one of the biggest cash funds available, over three years has returned you 1.59%. If you got the Bank of England base rate, you would have got 1.19% compounded. That's obviously not... Um, so that 1.59 is net of charges, but you are paying 15 basis points, not including the platform fee. So that, you know, some serious, serious things to consider. You also have to think about what these things invest in. James, you've been looking a bit more deep dive as to what these cash, cash funds hold. 
I haven't really done deep dive to her, but just as a general point, the money market, it's a lot more complex than just we just use this cover all term cash. There are several different instruments that traders and managers will be looking at. Bankers' acceptances, um, which are short-term credit investments issued by firms and guaranteed by banks, as opposed to commercial paper, which is unsecured promissory note issued by firms. Uh, There's certificates of deposit, which are time deposits with a bank, uh, and and T-bills, which are ultra-safe short-term government bonds. So there's quite a a myriad of instruments that are used to create these funds, and that will will affect the the, the risk profile of them. So as well as credit risk, liquidity risk, um, and obviously see you know the risk of inflation which out inflation as you pointed out is has outstripped these funds anyway there's rollover risk so the principles of coupon investments so if you're looking at some of the shorter dated bond funds those are the, probably the safest they need to be reinvested at a different rate so when we're at ultra low rates um, and the managers were probably and um, they weren't able to reinvest in in similar bonds with a high coupon and they'd have been uh, investing in shorter term riskier securities so they might have gone along the risk curve to riskier commercial paper so there was a lot there and, and actually so as Sophie says for the, the return you're getting you know you might as well have it cash, cash on deposit for the, for the last you know the last few years but obviously rates rising um, we'll see how long that lasts with potential trade wars heating up Indeed, indeed. It's interesting to know. I know, especially the, the other thing that I, uh, I found interesting about this Royal London Fund was that um, over three years, depending on when you went in and when you went out, if you if you pulled your money, you could have lost 0.05%, which isn't much, but is, is more than enough when it's a cash fund and you're not supposed to be losing anything. So, And if you, if you look to what the actual, the end customer is looking for here, it's peace of mind, it's comfort, that cash and cash equivalents phrase you've just read out a list there right? that that's not easy for your uh, average investor to understand and if you can't understand it how are you going to get that peace of mind and comfort okay sophie you briefly touched on these um, short duration funds so back in to the back end of 2016 the the industry saw quite a quite a few launch of these products and asset managers are going around kind of marketing these as cash equivalents um do you do you buy into that no, I don't. Not not anymore. Um, I think with yields where they are, there's a real risk that as we see yields rise again, the capital value of the actual bond that it's holding will fall. And so while you might have picked up a bit of yield over the last couple of years, that capital value will fall. And that is not what you want from, as Sam was saying, a cash equivalent. That's not what it's there for. I just think it's really, really difficult for cash savers at the moment. As a kind of rounding off point, uh, Sam, what's your, what's your one piece of advice to, to kind of eke more out of your cash? I think people need to uh, look elsewhere, look away from the high street and have a look at what products are out there that allow them to spread their money, get a better rate of return uh, and ideally use some technology along the way to uh, enhance their yield and, and protect themselves at the same time. So have you anything to anything to add to that? Yeah, I would controversially say just check about the amount of cash you're holding because some people hold a lot of cash they don't necessarily need to. Yes, it gives you peace of mind, but there is an opportunity cost for holding that cash, particularly when you're getting below the rate of inflation. It's not just the opportunity cost, there's a real cost uh, that in 10 years' time that cash you hold isn't going to be worth the same as it is now if inflation bites. So check the amount of cash you're holding. Is it actually what you need or is it too much and can you do something different with it? Great, thank you. Uh, Some really, really good pieces of advice there. That's all we have time for today, so thank you very much for listening, and be smart with your cash. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 